We're going to begin our worship time together, and this is a communion Sunday. It's also a Sunday in which we are going to be revolving around Isaiah 6. You're going to be glad that you're here today. We're going to be talking about what it means to worship when we come together as a church, and we're going to be moving through Isaiah 6 uh, throughout our time together, and we're going to see how our, our worship services are actually nothing that some person like me or some elder in your church made up and how we do it. As a Presbyterian church, as a Reformed church, what we do is we base, we try and base everything we do on God's Word and let that be our, our rule, our anchor, our, our guide, even when it comes to what we do when we come together and worship. So you're going to see that there is um, almost a script before us here in Isaiah 6, and we, we, we follow this script when we come together. And Isaiah, this prophet, has been called by, by the Lord God to go and talk to a, a people, that, um, to Israel, and to let them know that because they have not been following the ways of the Lord, that they are going to soon be captured. And Isaiah has a word of hope, too, that they will be returned um, but in the midst of all of this calling and, and the Lord working with Isaiah, he gets the opportunity, he gets the privilege to be brought up into a heavenly worship service, a service of worship in the heavens. And so today, our service is going to be right alongside of what we read here in Isaiah 6. And as we move to the different parts of our service, I'm going to keep returning to this passage of Scripture. This is Isaiah 6. And I'm starting the very first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. When we come together, the first thing we realize is that we have been brought into worship by our Lord. We're called into worship. And when we arrive there, the first step is to simply be in awe that we would have been created and that we would have been given everything that we need for life. Felipe was talking a couple weeks back in staff meeting how worship is something like a, a mirror in which when we come to worship, we get to see ourselves, but also perspective. We, we have been living now in this past week in a creation that we did not put together. And everything that we has seen, have seen to be good in our lives in the past week have, have not been something that we have been able to create. It's all come from God. So we begin each week, we begin with a, with a psalm reading, we begin with a prayer of thanksgiving, and then we automatically move into praise, just like we see the seraphim here calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory. So let's stand together, those of us who have been called into worship together today. I'll pray and I'll, I'm going to give a prayer of thanksgiving and then we'll begin by singing to God together. 
Lord, we're grateful for all that has come from your hand into our lives in this past week. Too often we have not been thankful or, or paused throughout our days to turn back thanks to see a mirror. And so here we are, Lord. Put that mirror before us today so that we can see clearly with perspective that you are God, that you have created us. You've created all things that we know and see and have been given to us. Help us now to, to see you, to magnify you, to raise your name in these songs and let, let the words of these songs be a mirror to give us perspective. Help us, Lord, to know you better now, to see you better, to understand ourselves and in community here together. We thank you for our family, for our friends, for the places you have given us to be fruitful and to work. We thankful that there are new opportunities ahead of us, all coming from you. We lay all these gifts before you now. We give ourselves over to you now as we worship, as we ascribe worth and glory and weight to you, the Lord of heaven. Amen. Let's now worship the Lord with this song. Good morning, everybody. We're going to start this meeting, this service, saying thank you, God, for everything you've done.
Amen. Close your eyes there, if you are. Here we are, Lord. Worshiping you. I want to be with you this morning. I want to enjoy your presence. Because we know that you are here. one who receives us. You're the one that says, welcome. Thank you, Lord. Can you lift your hands and say thank you, Lord, for everything you've done, everything you've done this week, in my life, with my family, my work, everything. Everywhere I go, I see your presence working. Sometimes I see problems, sometimes I see chaos, but your presence is always there. You're still God. You always have the control of everything. We believe in you and we trust you. We can face your presence goes with us. Oh Lord, this morning we want to sit in your table. want to share with you, want to hear you. Fix us, fix our eyes, our hearts be like you. Can you say that? Say, God, I want to be with you. I want to be like you every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we come before the Lord, if we're honest about that, then what we realize is that before a completely holy God, we are laid bare. There is nothing hidden. And so anything that we have done in this past week that is that would be seen as sin or that would be seen as not loving and following the, the ways of our Lord God and how we've been created to live, it's known. And like Isaiah, what we next do in our worship times together is we move to a time of honesty, of humility, a prayer of confession. So would you pray with me? Lord, we are mindful that before you and nothing is hidden before you as, as we are, are bare and naked, that all of our actions and our thoughts and the desires of our hearts are known by you. And so we pause and we, we recognize, Lord, that we have not been perfect as you are. We have, not, we have not been able to walk the path that you did when you were here and completely loving others, even to your own sacrifice on that cross. So Lord, um, in this moment, 
in the silence of this moment, hear, hear the humble, the, the humility of this room as we recognize that, um, that you have called us to more than we have been able to accomplish and that you have called us to things to not do that we have done. have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Right when we move into that place of confession, the very next thing we do every week is to be reminded of the gospel, the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, that faith in him now has completely washed away the stains and the guilt of our sins, and that we can be filled with confidence. Thank you to the Holy Spirit. We can be filled with confidence that we are saved, that we have been rescued, and that before the Lord God now, we are seen with the perfection of Christ. We put on Christ, and in Revelation it describes us as being with white robes, that whiteness signifying the purity that we now have before the Lord. So anyone here with guilt of what you have done, the Lord asks you, please lay that down. He has brought that coal. He has touched your life. You have been made clean. And so what we do is we sing in response and gratitude for what the Lord has done. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found was blind, but now I see. Sing it now, Amazing Grace. Love. 
you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord and God of heaven. In your name we have sung, we have prayed, and we're reading your scriptures. Amen. Feel free to have a seat. So as you can see, when we come into worship, this is not something that we're doing and just making up. We're trying to anchor everything that we're doing in what the Lord God has shown us. We're going to invite any kids that are with us. You can head on out to a special time with Children's Church. Uh, let me pray for you as you guys head on over. Uh, Lord, thank you for the kids that we have in this family of faith. We pray a special blessing of uh, light, uh, a learning uh, of joy as they, as they do continue to learn what it means to follow you, what it means that you, um, you have come to call them your sons and daughters. Thank you, loving Father, that you give them a love that even surpasses anything that we could give them, and that we can trust that you are caring for them even more than we could. So thank you, Lord. May you bless this time. Amen. safe. <laughs> so we come together in worship. We, we recognize that we're in the presence of the Lord, which I was once reading um, an article by a professor talking about how we, we come to worship sometimes wearing our nicest clothes and, and we, we've, we've dolled up and we get here and everybody's very polite and we're handing out the bulletins and sitting down. And he, he wrote an article once about how it's almost silly that we're so gentle when we come to worship. When we get here, the, he said the ushers should be lashing us down to our seats, getting ready for the Lord to encounter us. Because as we can see even here in Isaiah, it's, as the sound of, of his voice came, the doorposts and the thresholds of that, of that service were shaking, and the temple was filled with smoke. Taking, taking the Lord's presence seriously would mean that, that we are in the presence of something that is so different than us. And it should fill us with not the type of fear that um, uh, is, is scary, but the type of fear that's reverential. Kind of like when you're coming, I've said this before, like when you come to the side of a cliff and you look over it, you get that little feeling in your stomach that makes you kind of want to back down. It's that type of, of respect for your mortality. That's the type when, when the scriptures talk about the fear of the Lord. What they're trying to convey is, is we have this proper respect for our position before the Holy One, before the God of all creation. And that moves us, as we've done, into this, woe is me, into the reality that without the Lord saving us, we're done. But then the Lord does save. The Lord does have that coal brought to us. And in the, the life and crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ through the cross, we have that saving. Then we come to the central part of our worship service after this. It anchors everything. And I'll keep reading here from Isaiah 6. So I'll continue with the seraphim flying over in the grace. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? The next part of our worship services is we always open up Scripture together and we listen to the voice of God. We listen to the voice of the Lord. We are lost in life without maps. 
Could you imagine walking into a mall and not seeing anywhere? So this is before you had your phones. You could just look it up. But not having one of those little maps there in the beginning and, and someone telling you, you have to find the store by yourself. By the way, it's huge. It's a four-block mall. You just need to walk everywhere and find it. That would be a little disconcerting. But what we have is you walk in, and there's these huge maps, and it has a little red dot that says, it says you are here, right? It says, you are here, and you can look down B8, Vans. Okay, that's where I'm going. You can find yourself there. In life, humanity has, been, has, has always needed to have a guide with us. And from the beginning, the Lord God has been giving us this guide, has been correcting us when we even walk away from that guide through the prophets coming and giving messages and, and prophecies and teachings. The scriptures we have are like that little map, <laughs> but for life. And we have red dots all throughout it that say, you are here. In fact, we've already read one of them here. When, it, when Isaiah says, woe to me, it's that little red dot, you are here. But after we find ourselves there, the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks. And the question that, that God gives to us is, you can find it here in, in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? There's a misconception with, with the church that the New Testament suddenly ushers in this new moment where Israel, where the people of God are supposed to be a light and are supposed to be sent. But rather, it's been God's plan all along for Israel to be an example to the nations, to be a light unto the nations, a light unto the Gentiles. And when Jesus comes, and we're going to read this in a moment, he clarifies this, and he says it in, in, in completely understandable terms, that we are now the ones the Lord is asking again, whom shall I send? Who will go? Worship leads directly into mission. Worship leads directly into mission. And there's a poverty in the modern church when it comes to understanding that worship leads directly into mission. What do we often think that worship leads us into? Feeling good? Maybe a, a positive emotional experience? Good music? Leaving maybe with a, an extra little bit of moral, moral character formation? What does worship lead us into? Mission. If we are going to honestly see the you are here sticker on the map, the destination then is the Lord always asking us, who will go? Whom shall I send? And the answer is unequivocal in Jesus' own words. We're going to look at now Matthew, bookmarking Isaiah 6. We're going to look at Matthew 28. There are two places. One is Matthew 28. This is the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, the very end where Jesus is about to go back into heaven. And here in Matthew 28, these are, you could think of them as Jesus' last words to the disciples. He says this. Then the eleven went to Galilee, verse 16, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In verse 19, it's translated, go. Another way you could translate that is, as you are going. The idea being that we should be on our way. As you are going, you need to be baptizing disciples. While you're on your way this week, heading to work, calling family members, doing the grocery shopping on your phones, whatever social media app of choice is yours, as you are going, as you're doing this, the call, the ask of those of us that are, that, are, that are in worship is that now we will be on mission, that we are going. And what's the mission? This section in my Bible, at least, it's called the Great Commission. It doesn't say the Great Mission. It's the Great Commission. You're being missioned, being given a mission, and it's a co-mission, too, in the sense that actually it's Jesus' own life mission now being given to us. We're sharing the same role to now teach people what Jesus has been, has been teaching others. And not just information. What does it say? It says teach them to teach them to obey everything I have taught. I'm hoping a little bit that after nine and a half years of me saying this passage, that hopefully I start to sound like a broken record at some point, teaching them to obey everything I taught. I know we've said this before. But how often do we not marry worship to commission? Still, it's critical for us as River of the Valley to be, to be on something of an example in which we understand that when we worship, the formation of that means we become commissioned and missionaries in which we are the ones who are making disciples. It's also translated discipling. Sometimes when you hear those words, go and make disciples, you think your role is just to, maybe just to bring them into a worship service. But also, it could be translated, go and disciple people. So you're the ones that are, are also being an example to your friends of what it means to love sacrificially, what it means to live a life that points to the Lord. And here's the word that glorifies him. The word glory, the word glory actually means the weightiness of God. The gravity, the gravitas of God. The chief end of man is what? To glorify God, right? What does it mean to glorify God? It means that you are, you're showing off God's gravity. That your life revolves around the Lord in such a way that as if you were a planet revolving around the sun. And that your life as it revolves around the sun, S-O-N, as you revolve around the sun, your life glorifies God by showing that you have this central point, this weight, this, this mass, this gravity, this pull that your life is revolving around. That you have the map, you have this you are here sticker, you have a commission, and so you glorify God. You're pulled in by that gravity by how you're living your life. Live his love by proclaiming the Lord, your Lord and your Savior. 
by existing as a group, as an epicenter of that reconciliation. We as a, as, as a family of faith revolve around the gravity of God, but then you throughout your week, in, in your places of work, with your friends, as I said, as you're doing whatever you do on your phones, wherever you are throughout the week, as you are going, Jesus says, we are to glorify the Lord, and we do this even, even when we don't realize people are watching. In every step of our life, you're either revolving around the sun or not. And if it wasn't clear there, in the beginning of Acts, we get a second great commission. In verse 6, then they, the disciples, gathered around him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, that's a good question. That's a great question. Our world is broken. Don't we all want to see our world restored right now? Wouldn't it be nice to wake up tomorrow and have everything already been made new? No more famine, no more war, no more disagreements, no more politics, none of that stuff. It'd all just be God's own designed good. It's a good question. It's a great question. The disciples ask it, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Who will go for me? As you are going, you are to be witnesses. Witnesses to what? All that Jesus has taught. Witnesses to the glory of God. Witnesses to that your life is revolving around a greater purpose than what this world would lay down. As we go through all of our life stages, there are little, little life stage purposes always embedded in there. When you're younger, it's mainly to have fun, play baseball, do gymnastics, enjoy your family. You get older, school starts becoming really important. As you get older, finding good friends, and eventually getting into the dating life, all of that gets really important, going to college, figuring out what you're gonna major in, having a career, eventually getting married. All these life stages have these minor, have these, have these, have these life stage important goals in them. But as you pass through your entire life, there is always a fundamental objective, a fundamental pull on your life. As you weave in and out of all those stages, there's that fundamental pull in which you're revolving around the gravity, the glory of the Lord God. And in each of those life stages, you have the ability, as you pass through them, as you complete them, as you do them well, to be pointing to the Lord or not. As you are on your way, Jesus says, as you are going, disciple, as we come into worship, at the end of the sermon, we always come to this time in which the question of offering is raised. And often in the church, again, there's a poverty of the idea of offering. It's, it's, it's just that moment we all think we're supposed to take out our pocketbooks. It's the, like the church is all of a sudden reaching out their hand and trying to get them into your pocket. That's not what offering is about. It's a self-offering. 
It's an offering of your complete self, so much more than your finances. At the same time, what did Jesus say about money? Did he say, where your heart is, there your money will be also? No, what did he say? Where your money is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus knows you too well. He knows you where you invest your resources, there your passion will follow. That's how we're built. So yes, part of this is investing resources in the church because if we're going to revolve around the Lord, we need to put our resources there in a meaningful way, in a way that's a bit sacrificial. In our family, every year it gets to the point where we're, we're building our budget, and when it comes to thinking about the finances of the church, it's a hard conversation. But in the end, as we wrestle, it's also spiritual formation. It's teaching us that we must rely upon the Lord. And so when Christy and I give sacrificially to the church, we do that in a way because we're glorifying God. It's showing that our lives are revolving around that call and that son rather than saving up for whatever else it might have been. But self-offering includes also your response to the word of that day. I always try and end the message by giving you something to think about. What is your way you're responding in this week to the word that we have heard? What is your self-offering? Here in Isaiah, the prophet responds. This is verse... So I'll just read verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Here I am. Send me. That's the response that the Lord is waiting to hear from each of us every time we're here in worship. Worship leads to self-offering. Worship leads to mission. Commission. Every time that there is a word preached from, from, this, from this church and on this, this chancel, as we move into self-offering, the Lord is waiting for each one of you to say, okay, here I am. I'm listening, and I will respond. Jesus promised there in Acts that the Holy Spirit would come to help equip, empower, and form you as you respond, here I am. Your response every Sunday should be, okay, Lord, your spirit is, is with me. Help me understand my response. Here I am. Send me. And as we move into a time of self-offering, usually Felipe will come up and, and we'll spend a moment. Uh, he'll do another song. It's not just another time for pretty music and to listen to our amazing tenor here. It's an opportunity for you to be reflecting and saying, here I am. Send me. And it's an opportunity for us as a church to say, here we are. Send us. We're yours to use, Lord. What does the Lord respond? And I said, here am I. Send me. God said, he said, go and tell your people. Tell this people. He had a message for Isaiah to speak. And we have a message that's been given to us. That the Lord is living and active. That Jesus came, was crucified, died, was buried, he rose on the third day. And now he has promised to be with us forever. That he has prepared a place for each one of us. That he is coming again. He will make all things new. 
and that spiritual, real presence, the Holy Spirit is with us. As we move to the table, Jesus, I, I think, knew that 2,000 years later, we would want to have touch points with this truth, with this reality, with the we are, like here you are point on the map. Here's another sticker. This is a way that we are connected to Jesus. Right? Jesus taught those first 11, 12 disciples. Judas is still in the room. Jesus teaches those 12 disciples. This is how we're going to remember what I'm about to do. And you're going to teach it to the next disciples. The chain comes all the way to this moment from that evening in the upper room. 2,000 years of teaching to obey everything I have taught included teaching how to do this together. And you'll notice that I always say the same words that we find in scripture about what we're doing at the table. This is a way for us to recognize the real presence of the living Holy Spirit with us as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again.